Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 138 with Luke Cooper. Luke is the head of sports science at New York City Football Club and he came on to talk about his journey so far that led to his role over in New York. We spoke about some of the recent progressions that he's made to the programme since being there. Luke's actually been at the club um, since just last year, so has, has been right through the sort of COVID period, so dealing with bubbles, dealing with isolations, um, hasn't actually had a free run at the role yet, so it was interesting to sort of see the initial approach that he had to take. He spoke about some of the challenges that he faced in terms of um, both COVID and non-COVID related. We spoke about the holistic approach that he uses with players and also how he goes about keeping players on track away from the pitch or the training ground as well. So it was great to have Luke on. Great to get um, his story and his journey so far from being over in England and then travelling over to New York and being in the MLS. Um, So I really appreciate him giving up his time and I hope you enjoy episode 138. But just before we dive into it, I just wanted to read a few of the reviews that we've got through on iTunes because we've been giving away some free books for anyone that leaves a review over on iTunes. Um, and I'll t- just tell you about that in a second. But some of the reviews that's come through, interesting podcast, found FFF via Tim and Jacko at School of Calisthenics and subscribe to the FFF podcast right away. Great listen and looking forward to making my way through previous podcasts as well as the new ones as they come. And then the next one, super podcast. Um, only recently discovered the podcast and I've been blown away by the quality. The guests are fantastic and there's always, always lots to take away from every episode. I must listen for coaches of all levels and experience. And then a recent one, brilliant. Brenda does a great job with the podcast. Thank you very much. I learn something different every week that I can take and use into my practice. So it's really great to hear the reviews um, from you guys. So anyone that does leave a, a review for the next few reviews, we're going to give away some free ebooks. So once you've left your review, screenshot the review and send it to mail at footballfitfed.com um, and we will send out a free ebook as a thank you for leaving that review. So um, if you haven't done so already, just take a couple of minutes to go and do that and make, make sure you send us the screenshot once you've done it. I appreciate everyone listening, everyone supporting the podcast. We've got a huge podcast as well next week after this one with Luke. So um, keep your eye out for that. But enjoy episode 138 with Luke Cooper. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 138. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast Luke Cooper. Luke, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? All good, thank you. So you're currently head of sports science at New York City Football Club. How's things going over there? Good. Um, good start to the season. Uh, obviously, finished pre-season, four games into the season now. So started off fairly strongly and uh, long may it continue. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, you don't sound like the typical New Yorker, mate. So let's go into a bit of background. Um, do you want to take us back and just give us the journey so far that led to your move over to New York? Definitely not from New York and definitely don't come on like it. Um, obviously from the UK, uh, born and raised in Leicester, so from there originally. Um, did my undergrad at Lincoln. Um, original plan was to be a, a primary school PE teacher, um, secondary school PE teacher. So I went to, to uni with the idea of doing my sports science degree and then doing a PGC like a, a lot of people do. Um, did an internship in my, in my third year 
Lincoln City, um, more to get some coaching experience more than anything um, to help with teaching and then sort of fell in love with it almost and realised that I could potentially do it as a career. So uh, sort of looked into it a bit more deeply when I finished my, my undergrad, um, looked around for, for internships and things like that, ended up getting an internship at Coventry Cities Academy um, with Matt Ellis at the time. Um, in the pre-season, so I did a couple of months there, um, and then he pushed me in the direction of the the master's internship at Leicester, um, which was part-funded. Uh, I think I was the first year of doing the, the master's part-funded at the time with the Emirates at Derby. Um, so I, I applied for that, got onto that, did a year at Leicester, the year they, they won the league, which was uh, nice to be around as a Leicester fan. Um, did my year there, and then after that, I got the job at Sheffield Wednesday as the 9th to 16th sports scientist. Um, I did two months there before the head of sports science left. So I ended up becoming the 18th head of sports, uh, sports scientist. Uh, then did a year there before moving up with the first team. And then I did two years with the first team before I uh, ended up landing this role and uh, coming out here. So it's a whirlwind sort of six year, six year period. Um, no, it's, uh, it's been good so far. Now you say that like that was like the natural transition to go from like working in England to suddenly appearing in New York. So talk, talk to us how that came about because um, obviously there's, some, there's something more to that move. Uh, to be fair, it was, I'd been sort of looking at the, the MLS. I've always wanted to work, work abroad. Obviously, speaking English, it's easier to go to America or Australia. Um, Really, I was sort of put in touch with, with Grant Downey, uh, who's at CFG. Um, so Tony Strugmick passed me his, his deal to on, so there was a role, role going out here. Um, so I spoke to him. Um, had a conversation with him before speaking to Scott McAllister, who's the head of performance services for, for City Football Group. After the conversation with him, I had a conversation with the sporting director, uh, Dave Lee. Um, then had an in-face interview at Seattle, uh, City's training ground um, with Scott McAllister and Mark Bitcoin. Um, before then, having a phone sort of video call with the manager here and getting offered the job. I think it was a week after the UK and the US went into the lockdown uh, during COVID. Then took months to get a visa appointment. Um, so obviously everything was shut. Um, and then finally got out here in July, uh, end of July last year after the MLS is back tournament. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a, a long-winded and strange process for me, uh, especially with, with the sort of role that I'd, I'd not previously gone for or been involved in. So that was yeah, it was definitely a learning curve for me. And with with your roles, because you've said there about working from right through from sort of under nines to sixteens, right through to first team. Is it first team that you find that you enjoy the most working with? Or like, because I think a lot of people, it takes different skill sets, doesn't it, to work with different ages? Like, where do, you, where do you feel that that fit with you? I think with my philosophy and the way I like to work, I think um, I work better with the first team in terms of getting what I want and preparing first team players. I think I build good relationships with, with first team players just on a on a personal level, which I think is what helps helps me get buy into sort of what I want to do and what, what we do as a club. Um, 
but I think I've probably learned the most about coaching when you're coaching the under nines and eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds who you can't talk in sports science terms. So you've got to actually understand what you're talking about to get your point across in a, the simplest possible terms. Um, definitely something that, especially at Leicester, Kev Paxton was, was really big on, um, was coaching ability and being able to put it across in age-specific way. Um, I definitely think that how specialist working with younger age groups is. I think there's always seems to be a rush to the top. Everyone wants to be working first team, but I think money and roles obviously is a, is a big factor in that. And I think that's why there probably needs to be a shift where the money is sort of even across the, the, the spectrum, especially in the academy level, because the importance of the under nines is just as important as 18s, et cetera. Because if you want to get people through the pathway, you need to, to start off on solid foundations. Um, I think people have a skill set which suits that and are good at coaching in, in those age groups. And I think that should be sort of, they should be pushed in that direction rather than wanting to get to the top to get the money that they think is at the top, which isn't always the case, especially in the UK. Um, I definitely think there, there will be a shift there at, at some point, um, but I don't think it's quite happened yet. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the thing, isn't it? There's some great practitioners at work under nines, under tens, under elevens, like the really early ages, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not working with the first team and they're not doing a not good coaching, not doing a good job. Um, we were going to talk about sort of recent changes to your, maybe your approach, your programming, but I suppose the whole time you've been over there, it's been in COVID times, hasn't it? So I suppose it'd be good to sort of reflect on what was your approach going in? Obviously there were so many, challenges, restrictions, everything in place. And you, you, we said before we started recording about the bubble as well. Do you want to just talk us through like the first few steps of actually getting your, your feet feet in the door, obviously social distanced? Yeah. <laughs> to start off with, I think for me, it's just about seeing what was currently done. Um, I think every time a new manager has come in at this club, there's been a new... Uh, head of performance or head of sports science or what, what, whatever the role's been previously. Um, and then every time they left, it's just been basically, it's either changed completely or it's just been left and there's nothing been there for the next people to, to, to take on. Um, so I think for me, it was just getting an idea of what was going on, what the players are used to doing, um, what their experiences are with, with S&C, with doing pre-act, with doing prehab, what, what rehab's like, how they use the GPS, how sort of sports science medical departments integrate with the coaches and the analysts. And sort of my first couple of weeks, I just almost took a step back. There was a few things that are my non-negotiables that I wanted to bring in and start introducing straight away. So like Preact, for example, um, getting everyone on as quickly as possible on an individualized Preact program. Um, so I typically split them into sort of three sections. So a mobility section, so obviously based on the testing batteries and stuff that, that we've now introduced, um, identifying where they're, whether they have asymmetries or if they have uh, poor mobility in certain areas. So work for a range in there, activate it within those ranges, and then finish with post-activation potentiation before they go onto the pitch. So they've done some form of explosive movement, whether it's on the K-box, Versa pulley, run rocket, uh, just a heavy trap bar deadlift or whatever it may be. Um, before they then go outside. So introduced them pretty quickly, got people on them straight away. Um, 
a little bit of resistance in certain areas. But um, this year, now that everyone knows what's sort of expected, it's been night and day. Everyone comes in straight away. So our players will have a meeting at 10.15. Straight out of the meeting, they come into pre-act half an hour before training. Everyone will do their individualised programme before going outside, doing the warm-up outside and into training. Um, so, yeah, after sort of seeing how everything's worked, obviously started to implement that, that um, working with Jake Roswell, our, our performance coach as well, getting the individualised uh, strength programmes. Um, so, obviously, he, he's been with the academy until last year and then last pre-season he moved up with the first team. Um, so, he had a good understanding of where players were at, what they were used to doing and what sort of where each person needed to work and improve. So once we got into the individualised SNC programmes, we sort of went from there with that side of it. Um, and then just getting used to the GPS and sort of then me getting to know the coach, to work with the coach, so how we can use that to, to affect change where, where, where it was needed. Um, it was definitely difficult, especially with travelling for away games. We had games every, every three, four days. Um, the schedule that it was after the immersive bat tournament. We're only allowed to travel on the day. You can go the day before because of COVID protocols. So you're having a two hour, two and a half hour flight, day of a game, you're in a hotel for three hours before you travel to the stadium to, to play. And then you're flying straight back out and you've got another game in three days. So to actually in, implement a lot was difficult, which is why the, the pre-out was the big one for me because it's a great way of microdosing and getting, start moving people in the right direction strength-wise. Um, especially in those busy periods where you're never going to be able to get uh, a full shrimp session in. It was, you know, it was, it was important for me anyway to try and try and implement that. And was that, was nothing in place in terms of pre-act when you got out there? So the, a lot of them already did their, their sort of own thing. Um, obviously, usually your older players have, have a routine that they build up over their career. I know when I was at Wednesday, quite a few of the players, the players did that, something that they picked up from, different places and added to over time and it gradually gets bigger and bigger. Um, but some players, it was, they turn up, have breakfast, get treatment for any treatment and then they go out, do the warm-up and train. Um, that's the way they'd been used to working. So I think it was a little bit of a change when we started to introduce that. Uh, some players didn't like doing that. Um, so getting their buy-in and trying to change that was, was tough to start with. Um, but like I say, once you get the majority doing it, getting those last couple, it's, it's, it's definitely not as difficult because they can see everyone else doing it. And when it starts to work as well and the, the effects start to pay off, it's, it's easy, easier to get buy-in. And then, especially this year when new players come in and they see how everyone works already and everyone, like, this is just how it is, people just have to get on board. As a new player, you're not going to come in and be like, oh, no, I'm not doing that when you've got every single player in the squad doing it. So it's definitely been easier this year. Yeah, and, and looking to um, next season or the season that you guys are in now, I don't know how much you can go into to detail on it, but what what's the sort of what's the focus for you in terms of maybe changes this season? Hopefully, in a virus-free, pandemic-free season, um, free-ish season. Like, what's the sort of focuses or the next steps for you in terms of the program? So the next steps for us have been being as holistic as possible, really. Um, so obviously, when I first came in, I focused on the strength and the pre-act. Um, they're obviously two small factors in keeping people fit and healthy for, for a 34-game season or whatever it is for us um, this year. Um, big one for us has been sort of 
the the workflow. So we have like treatment slots now. So the players will book in their treatment slots with the with the ATs and the, and the physio. Um, usually then after the treatment, we'll get them into the gym to do prehab. Um, so this is before their meeting to work through basically to reinforce everything that they've just done on the table. They'll then work through whether it's mobility exercises or whatever it is. They'll work through a program to reinforce everything they've just done. So they're not just getting on a table, going and sitting down for half an hour to 20 minutes before they then go out to warm up or do that pre-act and then train. So you're losing 20 minutes where they've got loosened up on the table and then they're going to sit down and just get stiff again. So we work through a, a prehab program. Um, typically, it's mostly mobility, uh, whether it's ankle mobility, hip mobility, uh, thoracic mobility, whatever it is. We'll work through, reinforce everything they've just done. They'll then have the meeting. And then they'll come up back into pre-act, which is a lot more dynamic, a lot more... Uh, active before they then go into the, the warm-up and then obviously training. Um, and then obviously outside of that, obviously nutrition, things like that. Still can't get a nutritionist in yet because of the getting on the testing cadence and they'd have to test every other day to be able to allow, allow them in the building. Now with fully vaccinated individuals, testing goes down to once a week. So hopefully we'll be able to, to start getting someone in. Um, but we, we've been working with different people to try and try and provide the best best care we can uh, we have a flick as a nutrition provider for our in our meal room in our canteen um, so obviously the food in there is really good obviously it's catered towards towards athletes um, and then obviously the the recovery side of it last year we weren't allowed in the hot and cold tubs we weren't allowed cryo <laughs> we weren't allowed a lot of stuff um, <laughs> We had been outside, which players weren't the, the biggest fan of, especially when it was raining or freezing outside towards the winter time. So being able to use the hot and cold tubs and cry on stuff this year has been some, a massive help, especially when you've done everything else you can, kind of can do. Obviously, you've got your sleep right, got your, your nutrition right. Trying to get those extra percentages, it's been, been really helpful. So it's been, hopefully will be a much better season for us this year uh, and help us keep everyone healthy. And with that holistic approach, it's, it's interesting as well to see your approach because obviously with that approach, you want players to adhere to it and, and keep things going away from the training ground, away from the pitch as well, don't you? So what, what's your approach with that, trying to sort of get players on side, giving them the information, but then obviously getting them to do what they need to be doing away because it's, it's probably quite applicable as well to COVID times, isn't it, as well when you weren't able to do all the normal recovery methods and all the rest of it? I think education is probably the, the biggest thing. Like we've got a lot of players who went out and bought like Normatex and things like that to use at home, um, especially with a short turnaround. Um, I think it's massively important. And I think they understood that they can't just rely on, on what we can do at the training ground, especially last year when, when certain things weren't available. A lot of them would take uh, body armour, uh, cooler tubs to fill with ice and take ice home to do ice baths and things like that. Um, but I think the big emphasis was the education on the sleep and the nutrition side of making sure they get that right. They're the two most important. You get them right. The other stuff's marginal gains in effect. Um, so it's more education about getting those bits right and then and then sort of taking it from there. Um, I think the same stuff's been. With the introduction as well, we've got PT and physical therapist in, in this year and getting the work to sort of, especially when someone's injured, the first two days or the first day is really, really important. So 
the education for him, telling the players, right, you need to do this when you go home, make sure you do this, whatever it is, whether it's treatment, whether it's form of activation, whether it's ISOs, whatever it is, and then teaching them why and making them understand why they're going to do it and how it's going to help and hopefully get them back quicker. It's been, been really important um, for us anyway. So. And that education, obviously, that's the key, isn't it? But does that, do you find that that just comes down to conversations? Is there any different approaches that you take with players to get that education across and that knowledge across? Or? A lot of it is, is just conversations, I think. I've done presentations in academies and, and I've done presentations with first team as well. I'm not sure how much information gets taken on board in, in that setting. Um, I think if you can build up a rapport with a player and then speak to them one-to-one, you're going to get a true reflection of what they actually think and what, what, what they believe. Um, you say it in a, in a team setting, most of the time they're either not going to be listening or they're not actually taking in what you're saying, especially for us as well when we've got, we've got like 10 or 11 different nationalities within our team. Um, yeah. some, some have better English than others. Doing a presentation in, in my English accent, which some of them don't even understand, um, can be difficult. So just having it in a one-to-one setting so they actually understand what you're saying, I think is probably the, the biggest thing. And I usually find that they buy into the practitioner, not the program. You can have a, a good practitioner and a bad program. They'll, they'll do the program because they believe in the person that's telling them what to do. Likewise, you can have the best program, but if you can't get them to buy into what you're doing, it's, it's pointless. Basically, a really good piece of paper that doesn't actually do anything. So I think the, the personal relationships are massively important. It's a relationships game at the end of the day. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's probably the, the, the biggest thing for me. And this sound, might sound a bit strange, but I found that speaking to a lot of people recently, they've given some real gems on like how the days have worked and practically how these conversations have come about. When is it that you feel that you can have the biggest impact in terms of, of conversation? Is it in the gym? Is it out on the pitch? Like, or does it just vary and depend on the, the player? Usually for me, it's in the gym. More so because I spend most of my time in there. Um, a lot of our workflow is sort of around the gym. So usually everything's centered towards that. So obviously usually when they come in, they'll get their breakfast and whatever. And if a lot of players now have this, this pre-hub program that we do, this mobility stuff, so a lot of them are in the gym in the morning, sort of some more relaxed atmosphere. You can sort of get players sort of on a one-to-one basis and you get to talk to them about things. Usually after the game, you can speak to them about, so talk to them about the GPS from the game, for example, or we've got a player at the minute who was top of like high-speed running in the league for the first three games, like just sort of relaying that to him and showing him that what he's been doing in the gym and during pre-season is working and having an effect and how that compares to last season and, sort of comparing him, his data against himself for last year and, and previous seasons and showing him that he's moving in the right direction. Obviously, that's just that's obviously what helps, helps get by. And if you can show them that what you're telling them to do and what you're asking them to do is working, then it's, it's hard for them to, to not agree and not, not to want to do it. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's probably my, my preferred choice. And with some challenges that you face in your role, because obviously there's the obvious one of COVID and we will struggle to avoid that, obviously. <laughs> but um, in terms of, of other challenges that you face, and, and one straight away that I'd probably be interested to get your take on is obviously language. When you've got players that speak in different languages, um, building that trust, building that buy-in, the relationships, how, how have you found that? I think that's probably been one of the, the toughest parts um, 
say the majority can speak English or at least understand it. Um, but for me, I've when I felt pretty much the second week I started Spanish lessons. Uh, I only have one a week, so it's probably probably not enough, and definitely learning very slowly. But just sort of showing them that you're trying, and then asking them what how you say this in in Spanish or whatever language it is, and basically show them that you care. Try and speak to them. Try and speak as much as you can in Spanish. Explain things in Spanish or show that you're trying to, to learn and to understand and that you, you want to build that relationship with them and you're not just being a typical ignorant Brit, basically, and going in somewhere and just expecting everyone to speak your language. And <laughs> I think showing them that and then just asking questions and asking them about, about themselves, about back home. Yeah, I think that's probably... I definitely need to get better at Spanish. That's my, my biggest task over the next year. <laughs> Just a very quick community update before we jump into part two with Luke. Um, If you don't know about the community already, we've got an online platform that has numerous webinars, presentations on there um, from all different sorts of practitioners and different topics. Recent webinars include Carlos Balsalabre did a great webinar for us on mobile technology to monitor neuromuscular performance. And then our latest one is from um, Val Performance sports scientist Matt Adkin and he went into some of the resources that they use at Vald um, including the Nordboard, Forstex, Forceframe and plenty of others as well. He spoke about systems, implementation, research and also what's new and future plans at Vald as well. We've all we've got some brilliant webinars coming up. I'm really excited to release the next few webinars that we've got in the pipeline not too far away from being uploaded onto the community from nutrition to S&C, loads of different topics in there as well. And a big part of our community as well is that we have a number of partnerships with a number of different companies. Last week, we announced a brand new partnership with Rezl, um, a virtual reality company, superb um, company based in Manchester, doing some great work in virtual reality. I've used the system. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I do recommend it. Go and give it a go. You need to contact Andy Etches at Rezl. Um, just look them up on social media, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. And we've teamed up with them and they've kindly given our members of our community a discount on their services as well. But we do have another big partnership to announce very soon. So just keep an eye out for that. If you're already a member of the community, just keep an eye out and you can make use of some of these discounts that we've got. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, register through that sign-up process, right the way through the sign-up process, and that will give you one month free on the community so you can see what it's all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Luke. No, it's it's a it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when you and and obviously it's going to be the same over in the UK as well um, with a lot of clubs now. But I think you're dead right, like showing that eagerness to go and learn, even if it's not like a, as maybe quick as what you think it should be or that they think it should be. That just just showing that initiative and it shows a bit of respect to them, I suppose, doesn't it as well? Yeah, definitely, I think helps us having coaches and, and certain staff members that are, can speak both languages um, when we do need serious conversations or we need to make sure that we're getting the details right in what we're saying and usually we 
we'll translate through then to make sure that things don't get missed. Um, but, but yeah, it's, and in terms of like the current situation, because it's obviously different in every country across the world right now. What what other challenges are you facing? Is there anything sort of around COVID that you guys are still having to adhere to, or is is a lot of that dropped now? So the the testing schedule up until this week, I think in the next couple of weeks it will change. But up until this week, we have to test every other day. So when you want to give two actual days off, you can't do two days off in a row. So even if you do, you still got to come in to test and. Right. Well, it is. It's not near the city, so people who live in the city or live down, down near where I am, it's about 40 minutes to the training facility, so you're having to drive up to get a swab put up your nose and then you're driving 40 minutes back when you've just got back off a two and a half hour plane journey, an hour after you've played 90 minutes. It's not, not the most ideal for recovery. Um, and travelling on the day, uh, the rules are pretty pretty strange with the MLS at the minute anyway. Uh, I think it's if you if your game's before 5 p.m. or and you have to travel over three hours, you can go the day before. But if it's after 5 p.m. and shorter than three hours, you have to travel on the day. It's like we went to DC, which it's only a 40, 50 minute flight, but then you've got the bus journey either side or the, the drive to the airport, getting on the actual plane, flying, getting landing, getting the stuff off the plane, bus journey to a hotel, and you're staying in a hotel, and you're trying to play, and then you're flying straight back. It's, it's not ideal like we played Orlando uh, last Saturday. Um, you go from New York, which is 15 degrees at the minute, you go to 30 degree heat with 93 or 98 percent humidity, whatever it was. It's not ideal, very different, and it's one that you don't get used to unless you spend a lot of time there. So dealing with that has been has been yeah, been interesting. And if they change, because I spoke to Johnny Northeast a, a long time ago now when when he was at dc and he was talking about the, the we basically did a whole episode on the sort of restriction not restrictions but the rules with the travel and everything have they changed anything since that in terms of the uh, chat yeah, flights or anything yeah so because of covid guidelines we've been able to charter every flight which has been very useful the planes are basically like easy jets you're basically getting an easy jet plane to go to wherever you need to go um but we have been able to charter every flight um, that's probably been the only, only good thing to come out of COVID, to be honest. Um, but I can see towards the end of the year that things might end up going back to normal, I think, and going back to economy flights, which will be fun. I think teams now with the new CBA will get eight, uh, eight chartered flights a season going forward. So out of 34 games, obviously half, half of them whatever away, you've got a lot of flights, so you're going to be going on budget airlines, which will be, which will be fun. Right, so that. nothing, the only real change is because of COVID then? Basically, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because I remember speaking to Johnny about it, and it's, I suppose that's a big challenge in terms of, like, leg room, in terms of just sort of space and having your own areas and stuff. It, that must become a real tough battle when you're going on these long flights. Having to deal with delays, having to deal with being sat next to not ideal passengers got yeah. on the plane. Like, especially with some of the kickoff times especially ones that we've had this season last season there's sort of 7pm 7, 7 kickoffs so you're getting a night flight you want the players to be able to sleep on a, on a plane if you've got a screaming baby next to you it's not not going to be the most ideal sleeping conditions you can't lie down put your feet up you're crammed into a tiny little space if you're a goalkeeper 
for a six foot four or six foot three, it's not not ideal. No, definitely not. So in terms of the travel, do you think that's one of the main differences between uh, being in the UK and being over in the MLS? Is that the main sort of thing that stands out? I think that's yeah, that's probably the biggest one, and I think being a salary cap league as well, I think creates a lot of different challenges because your squad looks so different. Obviously, in the UK, you can probably have every player challenging to start and you could probably argue a case for every player in a squad to start. Whereas here, it's, it's very different with, with, how that, with how that works. You have to try and get a squad with a set amount of money and you've got to be as competitive as possible and have as much strength and depth as possible while still having key players that can win your games. So it creates a lot of, lot of challenges in itself and creates different dynamics. It's obviously certain players They'll be in the squads, but they'll never, never really play. Um, dealing with the mental challenges of people not playing, uh, not being involved, and obviously every player wants to be involved. And then dealing with the sort of loads of those players who don't really get to play in the games, but they're always in the squad. And you never know if they're going to be needed or not because you don't know what the game, what's going to happen in the game. Um, so that in itself throws up <laughs> different challenges that you've got, you've got to try and overcome. Um, but, but air travel in itself with the obviously the associated effects, which obviously well-documented, well-researched, it's just going on a plane in general is not ideal, especially if you're doing it on the same days as you're going to fly. Um, yeah. Was there anything that you sort of put into place then around the sort of travelling? Um, you know, you said before about looking at the pre-act and that was something that you stood out, you felt like you can, you can make an impact with. Was there anything around, I know there's not too much you can do but around the travel I think it was more about sort of on the way there just focusing on hydration and meal time as well um, we tried to make sure that we got enough sleep the night before the game so before you leave but then at the same time so you get enough time so players can nap and relax at the hotel not have to get there eat and then leave straight away so it was sort of a, getting the leaving time was really important you're literally dealing a matter of minutes that like half an hour earlier that can make such a big difference of how you feel going into the game. Um, so getting that piece right was was really important. So make, maintaining hydration, and then on the way back, we always had the the Normatex and comp socks, comp boots on the, on the plane to try and get the recovery in early, make the most of the the flight. And luckily, on because it's a charter and it was a decent sized plane, every player got a row to themselves, so you can sort of lie down, but. It's not exactly ideal sleeping conditions or recovery conditions. So it's basically making the best of a bad situation more than anything. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll move it on, mate. We'll go on to some of the um, quick fire questions that we do at the end of the podcast. So first one being, um, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, I think everyone at my my time at Leicester. Um, so Kev Paxton, who's head of a, head of a performance, Tom Williams, who was there at the time, Jack Powley, Adam Burton, uh, Michael Cheverton. Um, so everywhere, everyone joined, joined that year. I think I've see it was a, a MRES Masters, so it was more research-based. So literally everything that I learned was was from my time at the club. Um, and that's probably definitely moulded me as the practitioner I, I am today. And some of the advice I was given then, I still, still sort of live by and sort of hold true now, which I'm really grateful for um, even if I might not have seen it at the time in terms of taking it in I was definitely trying to be as much of a sponge-like as possible and as absorbing everything that I was told and that's been a massive help in my, in my career since um, 
And then at, at Wednesday, Jack Green, who was uh, head of Academy Sports Science for a time, um, my relationship with him, I've always been able to bounce ideas off each other and sort of pushed each other on. And then obviously Tony Strudwick in the first team when he came in uh, last season and learning how he sort of manages up and how he deals with coaches and the chairman and, and things like that. It's been a, that was a real learning curve for me last year. And as probably without, I wouldn't have got this role and be able to do what I'm doing today. So that was, it was really helpful. And Is that... Sorry, mate, go on, go on, sorry. And then obviously this just working everyone I work with day to day here, like Jake, uh, we have very similar philosophies. Um, he's a really, really good practitioner. So we, we always pass ideas off each other and, and challenge each other to, to try different stuff and, and try and progress everything that we're, we're doing. So, so no, I've had a good experience with some really good people, which has definitely helped me. Yeah, definitely. Some top practitioners in there. The only thing I was going to ask about um, Tony Strubwick was where you were speaking about, is that in terms of communication with like board members or chairman or whoever? Is that the biggest takeaway from, from working with him? Communication and then sort of some of the, the, the data and the way he presents certain things uh, to, to key stakeholders, I guess, uh, and the way he put, puts it across. Obviously, you've got to get buy-in, not just from players, but if you want to get certain pieces of equipment or if you want to do certain things, getting the buy-in from the, from the manager and... and the chairman or the finance director, whoever it is that you've got to try and convince and putting the data across in a way that they'll understand. Um, it's was, it was eye-opening to me and probably something I'd never really thought of or had done before. So I've took a lot, lot away from that. Um, and just how he structures things and works with players as well. He was a top practitioner. You don't spend how long he did at Man United with England, obviously Wales at the minute. Um, I'll be able to... I'll still keep in touch with him and that's on guy. Class. Next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, probably my my approach with players and sort of getting the buy into what what I want them to do effectively. Um, I think I can get a lot of players to do things that they've probably not, never done before or have been used to. Um, just by sort of building that trust with them and making them believe in me as a person, I guess. Obviously, building that relationship helps them to to do what you tell them to do, and then backing that up with the data that you collect and having reasoning for everything you do. Um, if you can explain it in a way they understand, then for me, you get buy-in. Like that's it's quite simple, really. If you put something in place, show them here's where you were, here's where you are now, and you give them objective data behind that as well as some subjective feedback, then it's, it's hard not to, to get that. And I think that's probably been my thing throughout working in, a, especially in a first team environment. It's probably been my biggest thing. I've been able to build relationships with players to get that buy-in and sort of belief in what I've been trying to do. Class. And then we, we spoke about this before we started recording, but in terms of CPD, is there anything that you'd sort of uh, direct people in the, in the direction of in terms of not just courses, but webinars, podcasts, maybe even bits of research you've read, like anything that you, you've taken and put to practice? Podcast has been my biggest one. Obviously, obviously your guys' podcast and then obviously Pace Performance as well. Um, obviously, I have a 40-minute drive in the morning, so just listening to that on the way in and on the way home. Obviously, you, you take different bites. Obviously, it's a more productive 40 minutes than sitting in a car listening to just music or whatever it is. Um, 
I'm, I'm not great at reading either. Um, I struggle to sit down and read. Uh, I've got books that I've had for a long time. I've still not even opened a page, so I'm, I'm not the best person to push people in that direction. But yeah, podcasts have definitely been easier for me and learning from people's sort of real experiences, not what people have written in perfect world scenarios in books and whatnot or research papers where everything's so controlled. It's just not that realistic in the applied world, hearing people's opinions and there's things that research would discredit that people have had really good uh, results from. And then if, if you try it yourself on a small population, it works. And then rolling out to certainly I've, I've found them massive, massively important. And the high performance podcast as well, the one uh, that's been quite interesting for me with culture and um, sort of again, managing, managing people and stuff that's been really helpful for me too. Yeah, I've got to be careful not to turn into like fanboy of uh, high, high performance because I've spoke about it loads on the podcast. But um, no, it's definitely a top podcast, isn't it? It's really, really good. Yeah, they get some people that you'll probably never get to hear in that sort of setting. Um, so it's, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, really like that one. Yeah, and that, and the thing with, that I like about it is it's not all like uh, probably a lot of the, you, I'm guessing you're probably similar. A lot of the stuff you listen to is people in sport. Whereas you step into a podcast like that and it's a lot to do with business, businesses that you probably heard of but not heard of the people. And there's there's so many crossovers and takeaways, isn't there, from listening to those speak, people speak to sport as well. I think that's, that's probably the key thing. I think I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a relationships game. And I think in, in the world in general, even in business, the relationships and being able to get people to buy into what you believe, like people have started businesses from nothing and built it to multi-million or billion pound businesses it's they've built relationships along the way obviously you've got yeah you've got to have a good product which hopefully you do then building those relationships and you get the buy-in and people buy into what you want to do it's the same sport if if you have a good enough product in terms of pre-app sort of the strength stuff the recovery stuff what i'm trying to get the players to do and then they believe in me then you hopefully go in the right direction yeah 100 percent and then the final ones, what would you say is one of the most important uh, attributes that you feel a, a coach should have or could have? Adaptability, I think, is probably a key one, especially in an ever-changing environment. Um, <laughs> it's going to work with different people and different people are going to want to do different things. We have 10, 11 different nationalities, all of which come from different cultures, different experiences of S&C, of, of the gym and what they perceive strength work to be couldn't get half of our players to do what the other half do for example we've got a core american group who like you get to, to hang clean to heavy bar, trap bar deadlift to do the different things more traditional lifting not going to get that with the, with this group you get them all doing using the versa pulleys doing more sports specific movements um originally that would be so far away from my original philosophy and i think that's why my, <laughs> my philosophy's changed so much over over the last six years is working with different environments and finding different ways to get the gains and the the improvements that you want. Obviously it's been, been really important. I've, I've learned that there are more than, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I think that's being adaptable and being able to be open to different ideas and trying different things is, is really important. Yeah, definitely. And then just from a player's perspective or, or some of the players that you possibly work with as well, what do you think is one of the most uh, important traits or attributes for a from a player where you feel like you can have the biggest impact basically with them? I think accountability. If they take responsibility 
for their improvement, obviously you can take a horse to water, as the, as the saying goes. If you can give them all the tools they need, obviously you can't do the program for them. If they want to turn up and lift the same weight for the six to eight weeks of a program, they're not going to get the gains that you want them to get. If they come in and they're pushing themselves every week to, to improve, to do it with max effort, max intensity, move a load as fast as they can when they're doing max efforts, whatever it is, and obviously they're going to get the gains that you've, you've planned out for them. There's a whole reason why programs look the way they do. If they have that accountability and take it upon themselves to, to do it the way it should be done, then they're going to get the gains from it. If you don't have that accountability, then you don't always get that. So I think that's really important. Obviously, that accountability translates off the pitch as well, taking it into accountability for your recovery, for your nutrition, for your body fat, for, for whatever it is. If you want to get somewhere in the game and you want to be the best player you can possibly be and max your technical ability, then that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah, 100%. I was going to say with that as well, even on the technical side, like you see that with players, right? the top performers, don't you? Taking accountability for maybe um, doing extra technical work, like everything, no no stone, stones left unturned, is it? Like with, with what they do. Exactly. You hear the stories of Aldo or Beckham or whatever it is going out on the train, right? hitting like 100 free kicks, whatever it is, like taking accountability for their development is a reason why they get to, to where they want to be. Yeah. It's the same in everything. If you want to improve in the gym or you want to get quicker, you want to improve your change of direction, your top speed, acceleration, whatever it is, then take accountability for it. And usually at most clubs now, you have people in place where if you listen to what they're telling you to do, you'll, you'll get really good at improvements in performance. Brilliant. Mate, quality. This is the first podcast. Podcast yeah. debut. Done. I can I can breathe now. <laughs> I think it was a successful one. There was a, some top stuff in there, mate. Really good. Um, I was just going to say, if people have got questions, they want to reach out. Where would you direct them? Um, probably Twitter, to be honest. Um, Luke Cooper three, I think it is on there. Um, I think it's open anyway. I think it's private. So if anyone wants to follow me and DM me on there, then feel free. Perfect, mate. Well, I appreciate your time. And I know you're a few games into the season, had a good start, but best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, appreciate it. Big thanks for everyone listening to the podcast. I appreciate your support and also for Luke giving up his time to come on. I know it's a really busy period for him at the moment. Um, It was great to chat with him. It was great to hear his story as well. I think um, he sort of dropped in in his, his initial sort of career and story that he, he obviously worked in England at a numerous numerous different clubs and then ended up in New York. And he said it like it was a sort of natural progression, but it was it was good to delve into what how that move came about. Um, Grant Downey was part of that move as well, which is interesting to hear. So yeah, I think practitioners can take a lot from hearing about different pathways, different stories from different um, coaches and practitioners across the country or the world. So you can go and give Luke a follow on Twitter at Luke Cooper and then the number three. In terms of takeaways from me from this week, I think one of the early discussions we had about um, whether you enjoy first team more than academy. And I honestly believe that certain people are suited to working with different ages of of, uh, players. I think some people do an incredible job working at academy level and it definitely doesn't make them any less of a practitioner um, in some ways I think there's there's better practitioners at that level than there is at first team for just from my opinion 
But it's just important to, I suppose, if you are a practitioner wanting to get into sports science S&C, I think it's important to experience both sides and um, try and establish who you want to work with and not solely just chase first team. If it is first team that you want to work with, then great. Obviously, Luke spoke about that. Um, But there are other opportunities out there as well. He also mentioned that he learned most working with sort of under eight, under nine ages. And anyone that's worked with those ages will know, probably know exactly what he means. Like you face a lot of challenges at that ages. You've got to be creative and it will improve you as a coach. And even if you don't end up working with those ages long term. He spoke about non-negotiables, which a lot of people speak about, like going in with his non-negotiables when first arriving at the club. Obviously, COVID being a big issue when he's, well, I was going to say when he got there, but it still is. Um, and it has been the whole time that he's been there. Um, he spoke about conversations over presentations. So when we spoke about educating players and putting across philosophies, not necessarily doing it as like a formal presentation. It's more about conversations that you're having with players um, and making the most out of those conversations. And that's very much been a theme of some of these recent podcasts is that really optimising the time available. I know I spoke to John Goodwin about it, spoke to Jake Simpson about it, loads of different practitioners about the time and those conversations that we have with our players. That can be um, how you can make a real impact with them. And then the travel challenges over in the MLS, which I know way back on the episode with Johnny Northeast, we went into detail with, with all the sort of challenges they face, not only in terms of distance that they cover in the MLS, but also just the the actual fly-in and all the rest of it that they face. Um, And then just finally spoke about, when we talk about the skills from a coach and a player, he spoke about adaptability for a coach. Again, a real common one that comes up in the podcast, making sure that you are able to adapt to different challenges that come up and different circumstances. And then from a player, accountability. So players taking, being accountable for their performances, their actions, and I suppose their preparation, everything that goes into um, a match day. So this was really enjoyable chatting to Luke, um, someone I've not spoke to before, but I took plenty away from the podcast and I hope you guys did as well. So please reach out, let us know your biggest takeaways from the podcast, give it a retweet, give it a a repost on Instagram, or even just reach out to us, drop us a a private message. Um, It'd be great to hear from you. Next week, we've got another great guest. Um, I was going to reveal who it was then, but I'll leave it as a little bit of a surprise. But I'm looking forward to firstly recording the podcast and then releasing it to you guys because I'm sure it's going to be an absolute cracker. Someone that I've um, not spoken to, but listened to on a lot of podcasts before. So really looking forward to it. But thank you for your support as always. And I'll speak to you again in episode 139.